happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Week three in the Sun Belt featured some wild endings, close calls, and some tough losses for several of the conference's elite. On Saturday, the college football universe revolved around Boone, North Carolina, as college game day arrived in the high country. And with the eyes of the world on the Sun Belt, the league nearly suffered a catastrophic weekend that ended with teams going 3-10 and 10 while nearly seeing each of the league's top four teams suffer losses. Caden, we, we'll get to the scene in Boone, North Carolina in the wild finish in just a few minutes. But as a whole, what were your thoughts about the Sun Belt's performance in Week 3? I just think this conference cannot help but keep us on our toes as a fan base. I mean, every team, whatever you think about them, whatever upset loss or when they had before the next week, they'll show you something different. So I think it just really makes me more and more excited. Like we talked about, about conference play. We saw finally the first conference matchup with App State and Troy, and we were obviously there for that. So it's kind of interesting to see teams finally battling against each other versus playing some other teams. But we've seen some teams this weekend that Looks like they have some stuff figured out and we have high hopes for them going into the conference play and some other teams that we'll talk about a little bit later that we definitely have some concerns about. So I think this weekend was definitely a mixed bag for the Sun Belt, some exciting games and some finishes and stuff. But there's teams that clearly have some stuff figured out and there's clearly some teams that have some figuring out to do. I think a lot of teams had a reality check this weekend. You know, you look at how different this weekend could have been very easily. I mean, Troy could have beat App State. Uh, you look at what... Old Dominion nearly did to UVA. That should have been an Old Dominion win. South Alabama should have beaten UCLA. So this could have been a completely different weekend. The conversation could be different. A lot of excitement, though. I think that first game, uh, first conference game between Troy and App State, obviously, you've probably seen, people have seen the video already. An outstanding game. And, Caden, I'm going to give you a chance to put your App State hat on in just a couple minutes and really let you talk about just the environment up there that we got to enjoy yesterday, or rather on Saturday. Um, but before we get to all of that, let's uh, get right into it. As as promised, we'll start today's episode off with our Sunbelt scoreboard segment where we look at the results from around the conference. And after that, Caden and I will take a deep dive into some of the big games from Saturday. So first of all, let's take a look at that East Division, kind of the, the league that we've done, the you know, dubbed the Beasts of the East. And Caden, it was a tough day. They go two and four on the weekend, and the only two teams that pick up wins, App State, Coastal Carolina. Let's just be honest. I don't know if App State deserved that victory. I think Troy should have gotten the win. I think, you know, as Coach Sean Clark said in the postgame press conference last night, I think God clearly was a Mountaineer fan yesterday. Um, maybe that touchdown happens because we're a little bit closer to God in the high country, but App didn't deserve to win that game yesterday. They win it nonetheless. They it's they're two and one now on the season. Uh, they failed to cover the spread. Coastal Carolina, one of the few teams that actually took care of business yesterday. They beat Buffalo 38-26. And I mentioned coming into the weekend, there were six undefeated teams in the Sun Belt. Now there's only two. James Madison, who didn't play over the weekend. Coastal Carolina sitting at 3-0. and uh, Georgia Southern, they went to UAB. They were an 11.5-point underdog. They lose that game by 14. We thought maybe that would be one of those big upsets coming off in Nebraska. They fall to 2-1 and one on the season. Georgia State, we're going to get into this in what we're calling our bad loss category this week. Georgia State comes in a 19.5-point favorite. They've got some dope uniforms, and they lose that game at home to a bad Charlotte team, 42-41. And now Georgia State 0-3, and, and they're going to play Coastal on a quick turnaround this week. Their season hangs in the balance with that result on Thursday night. Marshall, one of the toughest losses, I think, for the Sun Belt and maybe took them out of New York's sixth bowl contention. They fall to Bowling Green. They were a 17-point favorite. They lose 
in overtime and fall to two and one on the season. ODU, what a game. They came in, they were an eight and a half point underdog, and they lost on a walk-off field goal. So give them a lot of credit. The offense looked good. We'll get more into that game a little bit later on. James Madison had the weekend off. They're rested. And Caden, I know you've got a big prediction later in this podcast about how you feel about James Madison App State next weekend. So we'll definitely get to that. But in the West, it was a very similar story. They had an even worse weekend than the East Division. They go one and six. The only team that took care of business was Southern Miss. Uh, Arkansas State played Memphis pretty tight, as we're expecting, you know, in that series. Memphis was a 14 and a half point favorite. They failed to cover the spread. Arkansas State one and two on the season. Louisiana, who I think probably is the biggest loser of the weekend, the offense did not look good in that game. They fall to Rice 33-21 and snap what had been a 15-game winning streak. They're back to zero in that column. They're going to really look to figure some things out with that big matchup against South Alabama looming uh, very quickly. Um, South Alabama, I think, probably was one of the teams that looked the best on the weekend. They go to Los Angeles in the historic Rose Bowl. They're a 15.5-point underdog. They lose that game on a walk-off field goal as well. And as you've noticed with the ODU-Virginia game and South Alabama-UCLA, those are the games that could have very easily been completely different. It would have changed the storylines of this podcast. South Alabama falls to 2-1. and one. Southern Miss took care of business against Northwestern State. That one was a blowout. Texas State, again, what did you expect against number 17? Baylor, they lose by 35, 1-2 now. Troy App State, we're about to get to that game. Absolutely wild. They get charged with a loss, but... I think Troy has put themselves in that upper upper echelon in the West with it being wide open. ULM, what'd you expect, Caden? 49 and a half point underdog at Alabama. They lose 63 to seven. I mean, they got their check. It was close to $2 million, so good for the Warhawks. But at the end of the day, that was going to be a loss no matter what. And if it wasn't, Coach Saban might have been run out of Tuscaloosa. Sunbelt, they... You know, as we mentioned, come in six undefeated teams on the weekend, only two left. They go three and 10 this weekend. I thought this was interesting too, Caden. Sunbelt teams were five and eight against the spread. Um, and we saw three double digit favorites lose Georgia State, Marshall, and Louisiana Lafayette. So we'll get to those. Those are kind of the losses in our bad loss category. But, Caden, there's nowhere else that we can start. You and I were both up in the high country yesterday electric atmosphere college game day was hopping I know I was you and me were texting Harry Lyles who's on the game day crew yesterday he said that was the best game day environment that he's been at to date uh the football game was outstanding we ended up seeing about 40,000 people rush the field um as the miracle on the mountain the sequel happened so Caden here's your opportunity put your app state hat on I want to hear what that game meant to that community, meant to you personally, meant to your former teammates. I know we got to hang out with a lot of them. Here's your opportunity to be an App State Mountaineer fan. Well, the hat is on, and I'm, I'm happy to have it on for this little segment for sure because I try to keep that App State bias out of this podcast as best as I can. But I'll tell you what, we were some of us were planning on coming to that JMU game. We kind of had our eye on that one as far as what game we were going to go to this year. But as soon as we found out it was college game, they're going to be in Boone. Everyone had to show up. We had a good group of people shot a great turnout. I feel like the whole city really felt like that too. We had, I got in there about Friday morning and people were just creeping into town. You could just almost feel our little town filling up and filling up and filling up. So everyone saw the national attention app got, it was huge for us. Even the people who weren't in Boone, I feel like they felt like they were in Boone because I just saw Social media was full of people just taking pictures of their TV screens and seeing App State on there. It's just a beautiful thing to see from a small school who we really feel like is kind of underappreciated. I know as players, 
we had great years where we had one loss years, two loss years, conference championship years, and we still didn't really get that attention. And we saw our Coastal Carolina get game day, and we had season that were, seasons that were better than that at some time, so we were a little bit upset. So just getting game day, it meant so much to that town. It's truly a football town. You really tell how much the fans care about it. And it was my first game. I went to an unofficial game visit in 2015, and it was raining, and it was playing Wyoming. And literally the whole entire town and campus looked completely different. We started a track around the stadium, no new facilities, no new dorms, anything like that. So really just watching it evolve over the years and getting to this moment where we get college game day was huge. I mean, we had fans coming up to different players and former players saying, hey, thank you guys so much for building this. Y'all were really the ones who made it come into this. And there's players before me and coaches before me who all built toward this, the Jerry Moores, the Armani Edwards, even the more recent history players. All that culmination of really being dedicated to the App State culture and those winning ways just really proved and was on display this weekend. So, no, I know it was your first app game. It was my first app game. And it might be a very hard, buy, a, a high bar to set as far as the next one we go to. But college game day atmosphere was electric. We had, we ended up being, we could have touched Luke Combs coming through to be the guest picker. The tailgate was electric. The game was electric. I had goosebumps talking about it right now, watching those guys run out. And even the, the first possession, we get an interception. The stadium went crazy. So, it was just a great moment. I think Noah can attest that it was a, a great weekend and a great day in Appalachian. And it just meant so much to the community. You could really tell how appreciative the whole town was about the whole experience. And thankfully, we got out with a win as well because that looked like it wasn't going to happen literally until the very last play of the game. So seeing the crowd, we were on the press box all the way up in the top and just watching all those 40,000 people swarm onto the field, like a bunch of little ants just getting onto the field into that corner to give Christian Horn some love. So it was a great weekend. And I think in Boone, this will be one that will go down in the history books for sure. And I'm glad that we got to be a part of it. And a lot of people who have been playing on the team and alumni and current students were also allowed to be a part of it. Yeah, I've got you gave me chills just talking about it. I, you know, spent the evening driving home last night to Greenville, South Carolina. It was about a two and a half hour drive after the game. And I didn't have any problems staying awake because I was hyped up after that game. I texted a friend this morning and said, Boone stole my heart last night. Uh, just an outstanding game. I think the environment was incredible. I think one of my favorite parts was watching when App State failed to convert that fourth and two at the end of the game. Caden, you thought the game was over. I think we all did. You clearly saw the fans thought the game was over. And then suddenly this game flips on its head. And I watched a bunch of fans run down the hill behind the end zone, overpower some security guards and to get back into the game to then rush the field once Chase Bryce threw that touchdown and Christian Horn uh, ultimately scored the game winner. So just an outstanding environment. I mean, we even, I think I've still got some black powder on me after Luke Combs shot a rifle off from about 10 feet from us. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was awesome. There was, you know, that's that, that clearly put the Sun Belt on display, the free media that they've gotten. Uh, you have game day and then I haven't checked yet, but I would tend to believe that was the number one play on Sports Center this morning. So Outstanding environment. Yeah, I, I kind of figured I didn't even have to watch. But, um, you know, I my first experience at Boone, Caden, I don't think I can go back because I don't think anything can top that in my mind. So we'll see how long it is before I go back to Boone, because I want to remember that game for kind of the rest of my life because it was just an outstanding experience. But, hey, let's jump into this game. Let's dig a little bit deeper. This was where we were going to spend a lot of time today because it deserved it. And I'm going to start in an area that I think would surprise some people who maybe didn't watch the game. And I want to start by talking about Troy. Troy deserved to win this football game. And Caden, I know you were in the locker room last night after the game. I know you talked to several players. I think there were some players in App State that felt like Troy deserved to win the football game. Gunnar Watson played outstanding. 
The wide receiver core made some tough catches in that game. We have got to give Troy their due because Troy is two seconds away from winning that football game, and the narrative would be completely different. I feel for them. I know it's tough for you to feel for them as you know a player who played at App State, but that was an outstanding football game for John Summerall and crew yesterday. No, man, I feel for them. I think I got to give Troy their flowers. I think everyone should because they did this all, mind you, without their best player in Carlton Marshall. They do it going into a college game day that their coach very clearly said is not about them. This game wasn't about them at all. They were the least talked about team by nature kind of in the country just because there was so much attention on app. And they come in this game and they play the game of their life. And I think we talk about that Wild West. It's hard to, if you had to power rank the West, it's hard not to put Troy up there now just because of the performance they had and the show they put on. We talked about it, those tough catches that the receivers made. Deshaun Stoudemire, Tez Johnson, they had DBs draped all over them, still made catches. Gunnar Watson played the game of his life throwing for 300 yards. I mean, the running game didn't get going. They only had 46 yards and some of that skewed from that safety play where they had to run out the clock or tried to run out the clock, which you can talk more about how the game ended in the clock management aspect of it later. But I think if you're Troy, you're hurting right now. It definitely hurts. It definitely stings. Your whole season's ahead of you, which is a good thing. But App State, we talked about it. They're, the locker room environment, they're obviously celebrating because it was such a good moment. But the, there were some other players I was having conversations with who knew they had to play better if they wanted to be better. And they were just disappointed in their own play. I think this is one of those games where you go into the film room, you don't even watch the Hail Mary. The Hail Mary is going to be on all week. It's going to be pushed in their face constantly, just like college game day was kind of pushed in their face constantly throughout the week. But you have to worry and focus on what you have to clean up and the list of mistakes that you made in that game and how you're going to prepare for this GMU team who's now well-rested, ready to go, and has you on notice, really, as far as how you played and what they've done lately. We're going to talk in a moment about Coach Clark's comments post-game about App State needing to do some soul-searching on defense, but I really want to talk about this Troy wide receiver core because they were outstanding in that game yesterday. 23 catches on 37 targets. They caught 62% of their passes. Caden, there were some catches that were elite yesterday by that Troy wide receiving core. Obviously, we're going to dish a little bit on App State defense in a few moments because, as their coach said, I think that's you know deserved at this point. Uh, but Troy's wide receivers were outstanding in that game. No, they played fantastic. We watched it. We were thankfully on the sideline for the first half, so we could really see how tight some of the coverage was. It wasn't like App State's DBs played very, very bad as far as coverage goes. They played some tight coverage, and Gunnar Watson made some great throws and set his receivers up to make some great catches. So obviously we talked about the run game wasn't getting going. They really used the run game almost to get as when they got closer to the red zone to punch the ball and they punched some touchdowns in with that run game. So they weren't really able to establish that, but they got it going in the right area and they adapted as far as the game goes in the flow of the game. They were throwing great underneath passes, getting some yards after the catch, doing some pre-snap motion stuff and some bunch formations that I felt like kind of got the App State linebacking core out of a raise and some underneath windows were open. And Gunnar Watson seemed like he was hitting them every time. I mean, the beginning of the game, he was throwing passes that weren't even going past the first down line, just converting and moving the change. And then towards the end, he opened it up and threw some deep balls as well and letting his guys make some plays. So if you're that Troy offense, if it was a seven on seven, maybe this might be a game they would have won because they were really throwing the ball around and making plays in a big game. Well, I do want to make it very clear that you were wrong uh, when we talked on Friday. You took the over in terms of tackles on Carlton Marshall. I took the under. He didn't play, (laughs) so I win. But, uh, you know, without him, talk about how outstanding Troy was in terms of stopping App State's rushing attack. I mean, this is an App State team. We talked about it. They rushed for 200 yards like they're eating breakfast, and they're only able to get 161 rushing yards in this game. Nate Noel didn't play Again, those 161 yards, a season low. 
Troy's defense stepped up as well. No, the safety Slocum played well. He ended the game with 13 tackles. He was all over the place. They knew that they had to play it. They had to play an offense that was very explosive. And App State did have their moments on the offside, offensive side of the ball. They got the ball moving. But Troy really made of the stops when it counted to keep them in this game. I think they stepped up to the occasion for sure. They looked good against the running backs. They didn't look they looked very fearless as far as tackling Cam Peoples, which is a hard thing to do. And I think they even got him a little banged up. He looked a little banged up. Hopefully App State can get him healthy for their next game. But if you're Troy's defense, you have to be impressed with one of the, your play all the way up until literally the very end when it comes to playing what looked like one of the best offenses in the Sun Belt for the past couple of weeks at least. Well, I've buried the lead long enough. We've got to talk about the moment, the miracle on the mountain, the sequel. Just a play that I think still gives me chills. I've been thinking about it all morning, trying to figure out how I'm going to describe it. Let's talk about how we even got there. App State has fourth and two, fourth and goal, really. They're unable to convert it. Troy takes over on downs. A couple of quick stops by App State. And Troy makes the decision to set their kicking game up better, take that safety, and make it 26-28 at that point. And then they do that so that they can tee up the ball at the 25-yard line. You think they're going to kick it deep. They squib kick it, which gives... App State the ball at about the 55-yard line. A couple of quick passes by Chase Bryce are incomplete, and that sets up the Hail Mary of all Hail Marys. And it was funny, Caden, as we talked to more people around the facility last night, the exact play that got ran that led to the results, that play is practiced weekly. Give the coaching staff a lot of credit there, Kevin Barbe. We've talked about him a lot. He's a wizard. But they ran that play to perfection. You throw the ball up. Chase Bryce, I asked him in the postgame interview last night. I said, how'd you feel about that ball? He said, it wasn't my best ball. He knew it. He said, I didn't get it there. But he didn't have to get it there because he was able to get a wide receiver downfield who batted the ball back to Christian Horn, who was in the perfect position. And then I think the unsung hero, Caden Robinson, threw a heck of a block to free Christian Horn. Thank goodness Christian Horn didn't drop the football before he crossed the goal line out of excitement. But Christian Horn, he gets dogpiled. The game's over. Kane, you and I were in the press box for that one. And there's a bunch of people upstairs that our job is to say words, to write words. And you remember that moment. For about two minutes, none of us could talk because we didn't know what had just happened. It was crazy. Take me through that moment. Yeah, I mean, this game was first team all blood pressure when it comes to the end of it. I mean, no matter who you were cheering for, it was something to worry about constantly. I mean, even the fourth down conversion for App State, I think I believe it was Caden Robinson again who caught the ball and fell and stumbled a little bit. It almost looked like he fell behind the sticks, but they convert that first fourth down to set them up. I think the App State offense kind of got a little bit too cute. They were trying to kind of, I feel like, take more time off of the clock versus scoring, and that kind of handcuffed them on fourth down, and they called a play where it was just one read to the tight end and he was covered up. Great job with Troy on that play. But then Troy kind of got in their own way too. We were talking about how they were going to handle that third and fourth down situation. Really made me think that maybe they weren't as confident in their punting and kicking game. We'll see that obviously as we go on and on towards the season. But interesting decision by them to give App State the ball back. And then even we, we maybe one of the most slept on moments we had in the press box was Trace Bryce threw a, what we thought was an interception straight into the numbers of one of the Troy DBs and it came out of his hands. But there's three plays that were just duds. It's hard to really get the ball and work it to that sideline when you don't have any timeouts in that situation. And then you talk about Chase's pass. Even when he threw that ball and it left his hand, it looked like it slipped from the press box. But I feel like you talk about God being on the Mountaineer side, the way it slipped, it almost let the ball get more height and let all the receivers adjust to it. And every little detail of that play happened for a reason. Four-man rush, ball goes up in the air. 
they practice it. I was at practice on Friday, man, and they practice all kinds of trick plays. And I'm not going to really get into all of that. I don't want to give their whole playbook up here, but they practice just about every little scenario you could think of. And that was one of them. And it really paid off. And I think that's what you really have to give a nod to was I feel like Troy kind of outplayed and kind of outcoached App State the entire game, but App State hung tough and they outcoached them and outplayed them in one play and won the game. I've never seen a game stolen like that ever, even after the game. I think it was just weird energy with people that weren't necessarily crowd rushing the field. It was just shock. I know in the press box, we had a lot of Cobras, a lot of hands on heads and just shock. Like it was almost like the game was just stolen. It didn't even feel like a proper win. If it was like a comeback win with a Hail Mary at the end, I feel like it would have felt differently than us kind of just stealing at the end and still having a lot to work on, obviously going forward. So one of the craziest games and finishes ever. And I think both teams have a lot to look at as far as some stuff to clean up and just some end of game clock management decisions that you have to make. Because in games like that, it's super important. And I think we're going to see a lot of close games in the Sun Bowl this year. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I think this is about to be the wackiest, most fun. The fun belt, I think, is going to be huge over the next couple of weeks as we jump into conference play. Two more quick things before we move past this game. Coach Sean Clark says in the postgame press conference last night, he says, we've got to do some soul searching on defense. That defense gives up 302 yards through the air yesterday. I will say the one thing that I think is really weighing on that defense right now, Trey Cobb does not play in that game. We know how big of a difference maker he is. Brendan Harrington is injured. We don't know if we're going to see him again this year. So you're missing a couple of big keys there on defense. And then obviously my guy, Caden Smith, who's not playing anymore. Um, (laughs) But that defense has got to figure things out because that defense could hold this App State team back. 100%. I mean, we're going to probably talk about it a little bit more with ODU as well, but how much do you want to lean on this offense? I mean, it seems like it's been going back and forth for the App State defense week one they're a revolving door. They're letting UNC do everything they want. Week two, A&M, they play some of the best football I think I've ever seen the App State defense play ever as far as just a defensive performance. And the offense helped them a lot controlling the clock, obviously. And then this, this week, you get that UNC defense back where you see some buff, busted coverages. You see some run fit errors. And some of the, the, the secondary just has to tackle better. I think App State has, I know they have a tradition of running a, a tackling circuit every now and then in practice. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to do that every day this week because they just tackled poorly. And then there were some plays where Coach Dale Jones got them in the right position to make some of those plays. And they just, at the point of attack, made some mistakes. So I think they definitely have some soul searching to do. I think they, really the biggest thing they're going to soul search for is find out which defense are they. Are they the defense that we've been seeing in week one and week three? Or are they going to be the defense we saw in week two? So they've shown they're capable of it, but you definitely have to be concerned as far as that goes and the injuries. So some guys are going to have to step up and some guys are really going to have to lock in and maybe even win some spots and positions because you you can only do so much as a coach. If you put some guys out there and they're not performing when you put them in the right position, it's, it's a tough situation. You might have to put someone out there who can make those tackles and at least get a guy to the ground in the worst case scenario. So if you're the App State defense, you definitely have some stuff to worry about and hopefully they can clean it up because they have a JMU team that is coming fresh, healthy, and ready to prove a point in this conference in their first year. Last thing before we move past this game, I want to chat quickly about the man they call Breezy. That's Chase Bryce. Another outstanding game, threw for nearly 300 yards again, including 55 on that final play. He added two more touchdowns, now nine total on the season, just one INT. That man is as cool under pressure as I have seen a quarterback in a long time. He's a special player for App State. 100%. I mean, we obviously had him. We know a lot about his story and his his come up. But he's. I was at practice the other day, and he just looked, he's, he looks like he's moving different. I was talking to Coach Clark, and I was like, this is the most comfortable I think I've ever seen Chase in his career. So he's definitely fitting like a glove in this offense. We saw that one throw he made to Caden Robinson. That was a, a deep ball from the opposite hash, just putting a bucket, really like an NFL caliber throw. 
those are going to be throws that win and lose games in this conference, especially depending on how your defense plays. So shouts out to him. I mean, he was the one really leading that offense and getting people back. He's the one that, you know, when people were leaving and coming back in, I mean, he, he Chase Bryce probably single-handedly had people leave the game, come back, storm the field and run to the duck pond because it was just such an emotional roller coaster, but he was that constant steady one that they had going. So got to just lean on him as far as leadership goes. And it's very clear you can lean on him as far as play goes right now, as far as what he's doing at the quarterback position for this team. Hey, and also he mentioned in the postgame press conference, kind of, you know, like a good neighbor, Chase was there. I mean, he was even helping people out of the stands as they tried to jump down to get on the field. So Chase Bryce, another outstanding performance, a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, it's been fun to kind of watch him this year after having him on the podcast. Well, we've talked a lot about App State, Troy. We've got to move past that one. I want to get into a section here, Caden. This weekend could have been completely different and talk about a couple of close calls. South Alabama goes to UCLA. They were an underdog in that game, and South Alabama comes seconds away from taking down UCLA in one of the most iconic venues in the country. They lose 32-31. to Um, You know, one of the things that I thought was really impressive in this game for South Alabama was their running game. UCLA, they had held opponents to just 62 rushing yards per game through the first two weeks. South Alabama puts 162 down on the field. Damian Webb had another outstanding performance, 124 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown. I was really impressed with that aspect of South Alabama's offense. No, if you're a South Alabama fan, you got to be excited. I mean, obviously you didn't win this game, but you have to love how they played. They looked confident out there. If you watch them, they were talking trash after making plays. I remember like Jalen Wayne was getting tackled after every play. He was going out of bounds and he was chirping at some of the guys. So I think if that offense looked really good, especially in 12 personnel, they had two tight ends out there a lot. Running behind them, LaDamian Webb looked more like LaDainian Tomlinson from time to time when it came when it came to his play. So the way they ran the ball and the way they threw the ball, you have to be super optimistic, at least if you're a South Alabama fan. I mean, they had every reason. Every Sunbelt team has every reason. Like you talked about this to feel like you don't belong out there and you might fold in the moment. But they looked like they belonged out there. And like I talked about before, I think this was going to be a huge game as far as a measuring stick of what ca- the character of that team was. And I think they're proven by prediction, right? I mean, they're looking good right now. And they showed that they can play against not only any team, but a high talent team and a high caliber team as far as personnel goes. So they look like they belonged out there. They obviously would have been huge if they won this game, but you have to be optimistic, especially in your running game and your passing game right now on the offensive side of the ball. Hey, the one thing I can say is I was bailed out a little bit because I said if South Alabama won, I'd have to pick them the rest of the year. They didn't, so I still hold the right <laughs> to not pick them, but I can, I'll give you a hint. I'm taking them against Louisiana in a couple of weeks, and we'll get to more of that in a moment. I think this game really all came down to one big moment, and that was their lone fourth down try. They were leading by two with under three minutes to go. They initially line up for a 39-yard field goal, which maybe is right on the edge of Diego Guajardo's range. He had hit a 38-yard field goal earlier in the first quarter. Um, it led to a sack. UCLA got the ball back and went 10 plays, 61 yards to set up the game-winning field goal. What'd you think about that call? I don't mind the call as much as I mind the actual play. I mean, if you're going to do a fake field goal, I think one of the biggest components of a fake field goal is the element of surprise. And when you put your starting quarterback as the holder and then kind of send everybody out in motion, and it's very clear he's getting the ball and he's throwing it. It kind of puts everyone's ears up as far as the defense goes and alerts them. And it kind of takes away that element of surprise. But obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. I think what they were worried about happened. They saw the way DTR was playing a quarterback. He had a great game, 263 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, they just had really good players on side of the ball. And not like their defense was playing bad. I think their defense held up and played very well. But UCLA had so much talent that I feel like when you know they have a three, four-minute drill and they have that much talent in such a big playbook, you do worry a little bit about your defense. But I don't mind the decision as much as I decide. I mind 
the way they went about the decision, if that makes sense. South Alabama's offense continues to click. They're now averaging 39 points per game on the season. They've scored over 30 in each of their first three games. Uh, That's something Louisiana hasn't done. Uh, They're going to need to figure some things out on offense. We'll talk about that in a minute. Carter Bradley had another good performance, 67% completion rate on the season, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. He's thrown for nearly 300 yards per game to begin the season. Uh, There's not a lot of question marks for me on this South Alabama team right now. I don't think there's a lot to really you know, dig into in this game, they played a heck of a football game against UCLA. Now, Carter Bradley, his lone interception of the game was on a screen pass, had some pressure in his face and kind of got taken from it. It was on one of the first possessions of the game. So don't really knock him for that. But when you see him in that game, he was throwing the ball confidently, looked like he had the offense known like the back of his hand, sending guys in motion, a lot of misdirection. I really like what they're doing when they hand the ball off and fake a screen every now and then it kind of keeps the defense on their toes. But on both sides of the ball, man, you can't complain about South Alabama right now. I mean, DTR, obviously, we talked about the quarterback for UCLA. He had a great game. Charbonnet had a great game on the ground and in the air. Like, they just had some better players at some better positions and some really experienced wide receivers. Like, when when DTR was back there and he had time, he was making stuff work. And when he got pressure, he was improvising. And the good thing for the South Alabama defense is that's probably the best quarterback they're going to play this entire year. So they have some of the best personnel that they played this year, and they still hung in tough. So you have to think as a fan and as an outside watcher, once they go through the Sunbelt schedule, I mean, if they play like they played yesterday, they're going to be up on a lot of teams. They're going to be doing a lot of good things. So obviously my, my crystal ball that I had before the year that's cooking up a, a good season for South Alabama is working out well. And I'm excited to see them definitely get a conference play. That's for sure. And I know they are too. And I know they probably don't feel great just because they're a competitive bunch right now, but they got to have that confidence, at least physically, that they can hang with anybody in the country and anybody in the conference right now. Well, we've had a walk-off touchdown, a walk-off field goal. Noah's taken a few extra blood pressure pills and this next game that we're going to talk about was another walk-off field goal old dominion they hold the lead over uva with a minute left in that game uva gets the ball back after old dominion had gone 16 plays 80 yards in two minutes to take the lead uva goes 56 yards on six plays in the final minute to set up the game-winning field goal they walk it off at home and win that game over Old Dominion. Old Dominion literally seconds away from being 2-0 and against the two Power 5 teams, two of the bigger Power 5 teams. Uh, in the state of Virginia, two ACC programs, we might be having a completely different conversation if they had won this. My biggest takeaway is I was really pleased with a, a certain trio on offense. Hayden Wolf played well again. We called him out about a week ago, and he's had two good games since then. He threw for two more touchdowns, 235 yards. Ali Jennings, we thought, hey, UVA's secondary might cause problems. And he did his thing again. Seven catches, 97 yards, and now has another touchdown, six on the season. And then Zach Koontz, he showed up in a big way, makes that big catch to give Old Dominion the lead late in that game. He has six catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. Really impressed with that trio. Yeah, I think I was impressed with him individually as a performance. But I think as a collective, I'm going to fade you a little bit on this one. As an offense, I mean you're leaning on your defense right now. I think they're off their ODU defense. I'm more of a defensive guy, so I'm going to give them some more love, but they look legit. They played the definition of Ben don't break football. If you look at the score, they got 16 points put up on them, but they only had one touchdown score on them. They gave up three field goals. They got the ball on the ground a couple of times, really made the most of some opportunities. They're getting the ball back to their offense, but I feel like their offense really isn't maximizing those snaps. You highlighted those three players that you mentioned, but the running game wasn't getting going. And I feel like We've seen almost every team in the Sun Belt have a running game, and that's going to seem like it's going to be a staple in the conference as far as if you want to be successful. So I think 
they did play well individually. They hung tight in this game. It was a, a little bit of a defensive game, but I think you definitely have some questions if you're ODU and you get into, once you get into conference play, I think we'll learn a little bit more about this, but do you think Hayden Wolf can win you football games? He's shown you that he can make some big plays, keep you in some of these games and get the ball to some of his weapons. But when you're down, do you think he can put a drive together and win the game for you? I think that's going to be a question that they're going to have to answer. And you kind of, kind of, you kind of, kind of wonder, you talked about those three players. I think that's the majority of their personnel. So you have to wonder, does this team and does this entire offense really have the personnel to play like this throughout the whole year? Because I don't know if this is the most sustainable way to play as far as leaning on your defense the entire year. Yeah, I mean, I think something that has yet to be mentioned on this podcast that probably does loom large is that the head coach, Ricky Ronnie, I mean, he lost his offensive coordinator about a week before the season, and I think they've still been reeling a little bit. That hasn't been talked a lot about, but Old Dominion, yeah, I mean, that's a good game against UVA. I would have loved the win, but, uh, you know, the one thing we mentioned and we used a stat last weekend we said, hey, they needed to force turnovers, and when they did, they won. They forced three UVA fumbles in this game, but they suffered their first loss since last October when forcing a turnover, now 6-1 and one during a seven-game stretch. So I had the game plan, but they get the turnovers, couldn't get the win. Brennan Armstrong does throw for 284 yards, pick up the UVA record, but for the second consecutive game, he doesn't throw a touchdown. So I think that's a win for Old Dominion in this game. Another big concern for me on defense was what I'm kind of calling a porous rushing defense for Old Dominion. They gave up back-to-back 200-yard rushing games. They gave up 261 to ECU last week, 229 more to UVA. Uh, 209-yard average per game on the season. And, you know, UVA controlled possession 33 and a half minutes to about 26 and a half. Uh, that That was the difference in this game. Yeah, and I was obviously a little bit critical when I was just talking about ODU, but they definitely have some things that they can look forward to and some things to build on. I mean, first and foremost, this is one of the toughest teams clearly in the Sun Belt. I mean, it's, it's a team no one's going to want to play. They have that edge to them, that character to them to where they feel like they can win every game and they compete at a very high level. So that's really where all this starts. It doesn't matter how much talent you have in the world. You need guys out there who can really fight to win. But the defense did play well. They have some stuff to figure out as far as the run game goes. But kind of talking like South Alabama, Brennan Armstrong's a great player. He extended plays. He moved the chains a lot from converting like a big third and 15 with his legs. So I think they're also playing a quarterback that's a higher caliber quarterback than they're going to see this year. So I think they do have some optimistic things to be about. I think ODU is going to be one of the toughest outs in the conference as far as showing up to their place, especially and having to play such a tough team who has that defensive identity already kind of built up. So I think there's a lot to look forward to as far as ODU goes. This is a tough loss for them, a two-point loss, and they feel like they're probably right on the cusp of that, but I'm excited to watch them play in conference games for sure coming up here soon. Well, we've had a really good game. We've had two close games that didn't go the Sun Belt's way, and now we're going to move into a section of games that I'm calling tough losses, and Caden, don't tell the listeners this, but I really debated uh, calling these bad losses because I think each one of them were bad losses, but we won't tell our listeners that I thought about using that word. We're going to go with tough losses. Um, each one of the teams that we're about to talk about was a double-digit favorite, including Georgia State that was a 19-and-a-half-point favorite. They lost to Charlotte, an 0-3 team that had been outscored by 82 points through the first three games of the season. Let's talk about probably the biggest surprise of the weekend. And, Kane, we heard around App State all week there was mousetraps around the facility, and I'm really starting to think that Marshall should have had some mousetraps because I think the Thundering Herd did eat the cheese. They beat Notre Dame. And then they go on the road and lose to Bowling Green, a team that was picked to finish middle of the pack, get less than five wins this year. Um, And Marshall loses in overtime, 34-31. It was the second largest spread. They were a 17-point favorite. Bowling Green was 0-2 coming into this game. Uh, That's a tough loss for Marshall. And, you know, when you're comparing App State's resume and Marshall's resume right now, 
That loss probably took them out of contention for a New Year's Six Bowl if they could have won out. I think App State still has an inside shot because a lot of people look at that UNC and App State game as kind of a win-slash-loss because of the type of game it was. But Marshall really hurt themselves with this game, and they failed to take care of business on the road. No, excellent point. I mean, we had three teams set up for a trap game when Georgia Southern, Marshall, and App State, and App State just happened to have Christian Horn and Chase Bryce on their team. I think all of these teams kind of got caught slipping, and especially Marshall in this one. I mean, they get up 14-0 to early, and then they kind of just shrugged it off kind of lost control of that game and let a 21-0 run go on them. And next thing you know, they're trying to come from behind. Laybourne put the ball on the ground twice. That was big for them. And I feel like they played a team in Bowling Green that went into a seven-overtime game the week before. And they looked just a little bit more ready. And they wanted a little bit more when it got into the second half of this game, when it got into overtime. So I think the good thing for Marshall, obviously, is in a conference game for them. But you got to look at Matt Columbia. He kind of disappeared after those first two touchdown drives. The defense was letting up. So it's going to be interesting to watch this Marshall team and how that morale Changes, they're obviously still waiting to get Rasheen Ali back. He's going to give them a spark whenever he comes back. But you, the, you got I think the juiciest story that comes out of this is they're playing a Troy team next week that was in a very similar situation as them. They, were, they both had the other team storming on the field after. So they're both going to take a look in the mirror and go into this matchup and really figure out getting into conference play what kind of team they're going to be. So Marshall's definitely on the hot seat a little bit as far as this loss because you can call it a bad, bad loss, whatever you want to call it. But I think they're definitely going to have to look in the mirror after this one and figure out what they're going to do going forward. You weren't supposed to tell the listeners that I wanted to use the word bad, so thank you for letting them know. But, you know, (laughs) their offense was pretty good. Put up 547 yards in this game. Marshall's offense has put up 500-plus yards in two of their first three games. So I'm happy with that so far. But uh, tough loss for Marshall, and they really hurt their case. I think, you know, now it's kind of a tough road to maybe get past App State unless JMU comes in and shocks the world next week, which – I don't know. It might not really be a shock if JMU comes in and beats App State with the way they looked yesterday. Let's move on to a team that I am really disappointed about, and that was my pick to win the West this year, and that was Louisiana. Um, They lost a lot of pieces when Napier left for Florida. He took a lot of pieces with him, a lot transferred. Um, They go to Rice yesterday and lose 33-21 despite being uh, a 12-point favorite in this game. It snapped the nation's longest winning streak at 15 games, and Caden, here's my biggest takeaway about this game. I have some major, let me restate, major concerns about Louisiana's offense. They put up a measly 175 yards yesterday. They only had the ball for 17 minutes of this game. They still don't know who their quarterback is, which is really concerning going into week four and with South Alabama looming in week five. Caden, here's where it gets really bad. They had nine first downs in this game to 27 for Rice. That's really bad on offense. No, I mean, they got bodied. That's the only way to say this. Like The panic meter for ULL going into the season for me was a little bit higher. And I think now for everyone, it's kind of high right now for sure. They have some stuff to figure out for sure. And you got to wonder if it's too late for them to figure it out. I mean, you obviously don't want to go through a quarterback battle in the season. Wolders went six for 14. That's it. That's all the stats. Like there's no touchdowns, no interceptions, nothing. Fields go seven for 14, one touchdown, one interception. And you talked about some of those bad totals they had. They also went three for 11 on third down. That's not good. 11 penalties. That's not good. It was just a bad game for them overall. The defense was worn out. I mean, they were on the field the whole game just because it was a 41 minutes of time of possession. And they were exhausted. Their team as a whole ended the game with 105 tackles. I mean, that's just the worst way you could lose. And that happened to them. Christian McCaffrey's brother torched them. Luke McCaffrey, he had 10 catches for two a touchdown. So they forced three interceptions. I think their defense still has some of that identity and blood, and they're looking good. But 
they still have a lot of other stuff to worry about. And if you're a ULL fan, you definitely are a little bit in panic mode right now, especially getting to this conference schedule coming up. Hey, the only cure to panic mode for Louisiana, they get ULM next week. So I have to think that they're going to maybe try to use that game to figure some things out. They've got two of their three hardest games coming up after that where they're going to play South Alabama at home before going to Marshall. Teams don't win at Marshall very often. They'll play Florida State later in the year. That's a bye game, so I'm not even going to talk about that. But Louisiana, they've got to get things figured out in a hurry. Let's move on to the last one of the you know bad losses. And this one I'm going to call bad because this is a Charlotte team that came in 0-3 on the season. They lost their first three games to... Here's the laundry list of really, really good teams they lost to. Florida Atlantic, William and Mary out of the FCS, and Maryland, who's a pretty good team. They lose to those three teams by a point differential of 82. Georgia State loses this game 42-41, to despite Darren Granger having a career game in this one. We've talked about the defense for this Georgia State team. They've looked pretty good this year. They looked really bad in this game. No, and this, one of the strongest parts of their defense has been that secondary, and they got absolutely torched. I mean, Chris Reynolds, the quarterback for Charlotte, he's been playing ball for a while, but he's like a 5'10 guy, really kind of a off-the-cuff type of quarterback. He went for 400 yards, five touchdowns against a secondary that we thought was one of the better ones in the Sun Belt. So that's tough of your Georgia State. Hopefully that's more of a fluke than a thing that you see throughout the season for them. But, I mean, they play well up front, but they got exposed on the back and on defense. But there's just too many space, mistakes overall. You should talk Sean Elliott talk after the game. He was visibly frustrated with the play of his team i mean 500 yards and 66 plays giving that up is terrible they had turnovers they missed extra points 11 penalties a lot of them were after the whistle even i mean he was visibly upset with that team and they have a quick turnaround with coastal so you have to wonder like is this team about to start zero and four and they're going to play in the beast of the east who we talked about and see some really tough competition so you have to wonder if georgia state's going to even make a bowl game at this point the way they're starting the season off i mean georgia state they start the year zero and four last year and they somehow sneaked into a bowl game so there still is a chance but caden this is a completely different east this year and they play coastal carolina on a quick turnaround that's a game that i think you and i are both planning on trying to get to on thursday night down in atlanta caden is georgia state season Hanging by a thread, is that a must-win game on Thursday? I'm not going to call it a must-win game just because it's so early into the conference schedule, but it's going to be very important that they play well in this game. I think for us, if we're going to this game, I think the best-case scenario for us is that if that defense doesn't show up again, maybe we see a Darren Granger, Garrison McCall shootout. I mean, that would be exciting to see. But they they had some good things on offense. I think Darren Granger in that quarterback position and that offense was something I was worried about going to the game. But 10 for 15 on third down, you'll take that. 340 yards in the air, four touchdowns. They have something to at least have hope for going into this game. But the defensive side and the after the play penalties and all those little things, those are things you can clean up and hopefully they can clean them up sooner than later. But I'm not going to call this a must-win game yet just because I don't think anyone's expecting them to win this game anyways. But they just have to show improvement from the week before. And that should be easy, but have to see, man. At least they look good in this game and not all black. Yeah, that was about the only thing in this game they actually looked good in was that all black. I will give them some credit. Those were some saucy jerseys. I was a big fan. Um, I think the thing I loved, and I was going to have you tell the listeners, uh, how long do you think Coach Sean Elliott's going to think about this game for? <laughs> he said in his, his post-game press conference, he was asked about this quick turnaround from playing a, a horrible game on Saturday to having to play a close team on Thursday. And he literally said, 
I hope we think about it all the way up until kickoff. He wants us to sit with his team. He was visibly frustrated. Hopefully he lights that fire under his team as well. I think you saw the uniform reveal. He was the one wearing the uniform in the reveal. So it looked like if he had that passion, they needed him out there to play a little bit because his team wasn't looking very encouraged. So hopefully he lights that fire under them and then gets them going in this game because they shouldn't need any more motivation to play in this one. And they should use their performance in the last one. That's for sure. So the offense, keep doing what you're doing. Keep running the ball efficiently. Darren Granger, keep that confidence up and defense and the extracurriculars got to get cleaned up for sure. Well, it was a tough, tough week in the Sun Belt. I think we're hoping for a big rebound as we kind of move into conference play next weekend. So we'll see how that goes. But if the start of this season has been any tell of what the rest of the season is like, Caden, we're never going to struggle for content on this podcast because they keep writing the storylines for us. Uh, the script writers have been really good early on this season. Well, let's move into our final segment of today's podcast. And, you know, this has been a long episode, so I'll kind of let you go speed round on this one. But it's time for you to make your Smith picks of the week uh, for offensive and defensive player. Caden, walk us through it. Yeah, I'll make it quick. This obviously talked about how talked about how crazy of a weekend this was. So it's kind of hard to pick. Do you pick players that were playing in te- for teams that played terrible this weekend? There was a lot of do you take the winning into account versus the actual performance and their opponent and all that stuff? But my offensive player of the year is going to be Jamari Thrash. He's a Georgia State receiver. Got 10 catches, 213 yards, and one touchdown. Had that one late in the game that really brought them ahead. Unfortunately, they gave it up at the end. But he played a great game, and I think he kept him. And that game had a 73-yard catch as well. So definitely the best receiver in offensive performance in the conference for me this week. And then for defense, I'm going to go with ULL's Jordan Quibido. Played on that ULL defense that obviously was on the field for 40 minutes. Played his heart out, 14 tackles, one TFL. So I really appreciate him leaving it all, all out there for his team. He led the Sunbelt on tackles this week, but obviously the ULL as a team didn't play well. Georgia State as a team didn't play well, but those dudes shined in those games, and I feel like those games would have gotten even uglier if they wouldn't have performed. So those are my two picks of the week. I think those are pretty good picks. I, I mean, you could maybe question the Georgia State you know, pick there, but uh, the wide receiver, the, the, the stat line was outstanding. So I, I'm going to trust you on this one. You have uh, picked pretty well through the first couple weeks. I mean, I think the Sun Belt should just have you pick because that's basically been who they picked as well. So, uh, you know, some kudos to you. Well, that's all we've got for our week three recap episode. So here's to a fresh slate in week four and to the start of conference play in earnest. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where we'll talk to a current student athlete in the Sun Belt. We also are planning on making it down to Georgia State for that game against Coastal Carolina and then hopefully recording Uh, some reaction following that game that'll come out on Friday's episode. So another big week ahead uh, for the Prairie and Smith podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, Another great episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We hope you liked what you heard today. If you didn't and you haven't already, or if you did, we want them to like what we're saying, but if you did and you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Plus, leave us a review or a rating. We love hearing what you have to think about the show. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.